We've begun a new series that I'm excited about. It's called The Road to Resurrection. And we're going to take the next few weeks as we approach Easter to, to listen to what the, the gospel writer Luke has to Be quiet, Siri. We're going to be looking through the, the book of Luke to see what the gospel writer has to say about Jesus and his ministry. And I think today's message is, is going to kind of give a picture of, of one of the major themes of this book in thinking about the question that we all have to answer, who is this man Jesus? Who is this man Jesus? Now last week we looked at, at uh, an earlier section talking about John, the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, and today we get to see Jesus at work. Last week we learned that Luke's intent, if you look at Luke chapter 1, was to give the audience a trustworthy testimony of the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. Luke was writing to people in, in some, many respects like you and me, trying to give them a, a, an honest historical account of the works of Jesus Christ. And so he was trying to build their faith and help them to know that they could trust in this man who was also God. And as we see today, Luke is going to press us with the ultimate question, who is this Jesus Christ? So I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, and I'd invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have not left us without an answer to this question. And as we engage with your word to us, I pray that you would, by your spirit, open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see that Jesus is the Lord, he's the Lord of our storms, and he's the Lord of our life. God, I pray that you would help us to appreciate Jesus as the one who is sovereign over our storms, the one who has authority over our storms, and the one who is in the midst of us, who is with us in our storms. I thank you, God, that you have always been a God who is with his people. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to be with us right now. Do what you can do through your word. Change, transform, engage our faith so that we might live more faith-filled through the storms that you call us into for the sake of your glory and our joy. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated if you're here. You can be seated if you're home as well. So the disciples are with Jesus, 
And they're about to sail across the, the Sea of Galilee. And, and the first two verses really give us some context for the rest of the story that we're about to read and, and study. The disciples are with Jesus, several of whom have a, a professional background in, in sailing. You know, Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen. They were well acquainted with the sea. They, they made their living up to this point on the sea. These guys were not, they were not fearful of the ocean. They were not afraid of the waters. They were well acquainted, uh, well acquainted sailors. And it says that uh, on the day, uh, one day he got into a boat and his disciples with him. And, and Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Pretty, pretty innocuous. Okay, we're here. Let's go over there on the Sea of Galilee. And, and they agree and they follow him. At this point, these disciples are following Jesus. They're obeying. They're doing the things that they're supposed to do. And they're acting in a general sense of obedience to Jesus, their leader. And now the rest of the story can be broken up into, I tried to find four R's that we can all hang our hats on. I don't know how helpful that'll be, but here we are. It's going to be broken up into rough circumstances. Then we're going to see the disciples' response and Jesus' rebukes. And it's going to end with the right question. We're going to see rough circumstances that lead to the disciples' response, which also leads to Jesus' rebukes. And the ultimately right question. So let's look at these rough circumstances. Luke says in, in, in verse 23, as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Jesus, God, was tired. He'd been ministering and ministering and ministering and he was worn out. And, and as we see in this story, he has to be roused from sleep by his panicking disciples. So he was really tired. I mean, if, we're, if we want to talk about work-life balance, we probably shouldn't look at Jesus' life as a side note. That's not what this sermon is about. But uh, Jesus was not necessarily trying to find the perfect balance between work and rest. He was trying to live a life passionately following his Father in whatever season that God put in front of him. Family, you can pursue work-life balance, but probably... You're never, you're never going to find it. That, that's, that, uh, if Jesus can't find it, I, I just don't know. I don't have a whole lot of hope for it. But we know that God is with us. Anyways, moving on. As Jesus is fast asleep, fast asleep, a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now, the, the Sea of Galilee is this shallow basin that's surrounded by cli cliffs and hills. And so you have this geographical situation where, where air is coming down and the air from the, the lake itself is going up and it creates these swells, these storms, these gusty wind storms. And if you look at, uh, at, at some of the parallel passages, Matthew speaks of this account as well as Mark. Matthew calls it a uh, a great storm, and Mark calls it a great windstorm. So clearly, this is this is a situation. This is a situation. And as I said, this this Sea of Galilee was was one that that this sort of thing happened. 
And we know that this was a bad situation, not only because of the, the, the term windstorm, but because we had some sailors on there who were panicking. We had some sailors who were responding to what they were seeing, and, and they were worried. Now, if, if you've ever been to the ocean, you know that there are those who are, they look around, and, and they're locals, and, and they see a storm, and, and if, if they don't respond, you kind of, yeah, okay, I guess it's going to be okay. But when the locals leave, that's when it's time to go. So when we see that the disciples are responding in fear, we know that this is a serious situation. Not only that, it says that they were filling with water. I love how, how, how matter-of-fact Luke is. It wasn't just like they were, they were worried, that there was problems with the boats. They were saying the boat was filling with water. And if you've been familiar with boats, the, the whole point of a boat is to keep the water on the outside. You know, if, if you've ever put... You know, I just remember my kids playing in, in, the, in the tub, and they had a little tugboat with a handle. And invariably, you just do this, and, and you realize that they don't understand how boats are supposed to work. Boats are supposed to not have water in them. They, they keep the water out. And this, this boat was filling with water. And not only that, Luke tells us that they were in danger. Not that they felt like they were in danger. It seemed like they were in danger. Maybe they were in danger. They were in danger. So follow the logic of this story with me. Jesus has said, let's get on this boat. They follow obediently. Jesus has said, let's, let's go that way. Let's go across the lake, the sea. They obey. They follow obediently. Windstorm happens. Rain is happening, and they are in the middle of some rough circumstances. This is an actual situation of actual danger that Jesus has led them into. This wasn't a situation where Peter and Paul were saying, or Peter and, and, and James and John were saying, Jesus, we know a better way. Let's go this way. And, and Jesus is saying, if you go that way, there's going to be a big storm. It's going to be bad. This wasn't a situation where, where they were off carousing and acting foolish on a boat and, and didn't see the situation. And, and because of their sin, they found themselves in rough circumstances. They were being obedient. And in the middle of their obedience, they were in danger. Family, the Christian life is not an escape from hardship. And in fact, sometimes, sometimes Jesus leads you into hardship. And, and if we were to just stop for a second and, and just look at the life of Jesus, we might, we might be slow to, to assume that, that our lives ought to be easy. Because apart from what God calls us to, Jesus' own life was not, not a walk in the park, to say the least. The Christian life is not an escape from hardship. Family, do you, do you identify whether you're in God's will by the ease of your circumstances? I'll repeat that. Do you identify whether you are in God's will, if, whether or not God is pleased with your, with your life by how your circumstances are going? Things are going well, God is pleased with me. Things are going poorly, God is angry with me. Things are going well, I must be doing the right thing, even though I'm sinning. Things are going poorly, even though I'm trying to obey God, God must be angry at me, I don't get it. How do you judge 
God's pleasure over your life? Is it, is it by the circumstances that you find yourself in? Some of you may have found yourself in the middle of very difficult circumstances that God fully intends to carry you through. And I'm not trying to be flippant or, or lackadaisical or, or casual about the, the pain that you might find yourself in. As they were in real danger, so you might find yourself in real danger and pain. And the temptation might be to say, God, are you angry at me? What have I done? But here we see that disciples, they didn't do anything except obey Jesus. Is your marriage hard? May, you may be in a rough circumstance precisely because God intends to take you through it. And the, the, the prevailing worldview that once your marriage gets hard, you need to end it is a lie. Once your marriage gets hard, welcome to marriage. It's intended to take all of those rough edges that you thought you didn't have, put them in front of your face and say, deal with this. Do you find it difficult in your profession despite the fact that you try to live with integrity and honesty? You may be in rough circumstances precisely because you're following Christ. Have you been faithfully waiting and pursuing holiness and purity for years, waiting for a spouse only to be disappointed time and time again? You may be in rough circumstances precisely because you are following Jesus Christ. And the solution is not to get out of your circumstances. The solution is to remain obedient and faith-filled, believing that Jesus is in your boat. We don't judge God's blessings simply by our circumstances. We judge them by the standard of his word. How do the disciples respond to their circumstances? Let's, let's look and see. Verse 24, and they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. The word there means ruined, disaster. We're dying. How don't they respond? They don't go to Jesus and say, I know, I know you're God and, and you got this whole thing. I just want to make sure we got, some, we got some water. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, do you do you?" Do you want to start? Do you want us to wait? Should we pray some more and then you'll start helping us? You know, he, he, they don't respond and say, we know, we know you told us to cross over and we believe your word and we're standing in faith. No, they, they run to him and say, Master, Matt, emphatically. The, the double, the, the repeating of that is intended to give you a sense of urgency, of peril, of panic. You might even think that that they're not even, I don't even know. I mean, if you look at Matthew and Mark, they, they, they do ask him for help. But I don't even know if there was a real sense of going to him for actual help. You know, when I was a, a kid, I, I, worked at a, I worked at an Italian restaurant as a, as a busboy. But I like to help and stay busy. And as a busboy, you don't necessarily have to do a ton of stuff all the time. So I would help host and I would help clean and maybe bring stuff to the tables. And I, I had worked myself into a, a, a mess. I don't know, I, a, a tizzy. And, and I was doing so many things and I, and I started to, to kind of panic. And I had to do this and this and this and this. And my boss came to me and was like, hey, can you go bust that table? 
And I was like, no, I can't bust it. I got too many things to do. You know, 16-year-old speaking up at his boss. He was a nice guy. He didn't fire me. Probably needed me. But, uh, but I, I, in my panic, I was like, I can't do the thing you told me to do. Ah! And later on, I had to go back and apologize. Be like, oh, you know what? I, I can definitely do my job. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was doing a bunch of things that weren't my job. And I think that the disciples are in that situation where they are, they're doing everything, they're feeling everything, they're, they're, they're struggling with everything except for the one thing that they're called to do, which is to trust in God. And they're, they're freaking out. We're perishing. They were making pronouncements based on their circumstance alone. Luke said they were in danger. Now they're perishing. Right? Luke said there's, there's a problem that needs to be addressed. They said there's no solution. Again, perhaps they asked for him for help, but, but it wasn't a sort of, there was no faith in it. And we'll see that Jesus addresses that fact. I'm not just making an assumption based on you know, imagination, but, but Jesus addresses the fact that their, their request for help lacked real faith. Their circumstances were dictating how they approached God. Do your circumstances dictate how you approach God? Things are going well, no calls to God. Things are going poorly, God help me! Now, the, the good news is, as we see that, that Jesus addresses it, and he fixes their situation, and then he corrects them. He doesn't wait for them to get obedient in their attitude, to get faith-filled before he addresses it. But, but how do you respond in the middle of your circumstances? When you're facing relational difficulties, when you're dealing with money problems, when things at work aren't, are, are bad, when, when things in your relationships are bad, when you aren't getting your way. Think about these responses. Think about, you know, I, I don't want you just to hear that I'm giving you a, a rhetorical question, but I want you to think as though you're a middle schooler and you're about to blurt out the answer. Because when I was a youth pastor, middle schoolers didn't necessarily always understand rhetorical questions. That's what I mean. Think about these responses because how you respond to your circumstances could be a marker about how you're relating to God. Let's look at what Jesus does. We've gone from the rough situation to the disciples' response and we are going to hear Jesus' rebuke. And he awoke, bleary-eyed, tired. Like, I almost imagine that he's just like, okay. Hey, stop it, wind. Waters, stop it. And then everything stops. He woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? You know, I'll be honest, family, when I read this, I struggled because they went to him. Their faith was in the fact that they, they went to him. They had a problem. They went to their Savior. Not only that, they had been obedient up, up, to, obedient up to this point. And yet Jesus is saying, you guys don't have faith. You don't, you don't trust me. You see, he had said at the beginning... Let's go over there. Let's go over there. And, and they didn't engage him until they felt like they were about to die. Now, I don't think that Jesus was saying, why didn't you just sit there and act like there was no problem? Because when we look at the way God 
sovereignly engages people, he doesn't call us to sit inert. He doesn't say, don't do anything about your problems and just kind of mystically meditate and I will fix them. No, he calls us to be active in our life. But there's a sense that the disciples had no hope in God. That in their acting, in their panic, in their disposition of fear, that they, they were calling into question the goodness and the protection of God. And family, there are things that you have to do in your circumstances. We have to repent. We have to work. We have to, you know, we have to forgive people. We have to go to work at 8 in the morning and work, you know, we don't just get to, God, would you fix my money problems and then just wait for a check in the mail. We have to do our part, but, but there's, there's a disposition that he calls us to, a disposition of faith. Of, of, of looking toward God and saying, here are my circumstances, God. And trusting that he will deal with them as we do our part. Jesus rebukes the storm and then he rebukes his disciples gently. And it's in that order. He rebukes the storm and the disciples. That alone, within and of itself, is an expression of his grace. God is so patient with you, family. He's so patient with you. I'm so thankful he's patient with me. The good news is that he is patient with us. He's patient with these knuckleheads. And he rebukes them. And, and then we see that they, they begin to ask some good questions. It says in verse 25, And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters to obey him? Who is this guy? And what's interesting is that, that Luke moves on. He doesn't explicitly answer the question because Luke is trying to bring that question to our attention. Then he moves on to talking about healing a man with a demon. He goes from a, a miracle in nature to a miracle in, in the spiritual realm. Who is this guy? After encountering the power and authority of Jesus Christ, they're afraid and in wonder. Now, the, the good news is that this fear isn't a, a fear of punishment. It's not a fear of, of necessarily death. It's the kind of fear that you feel when you're, when you're looking at the Sears Tower and you get dizzy because it's so high. Or, or you're looking over a chasm and, and your hands start to sweat at just the power of that, that distance. The reality of, of the fact that you could just be done in a moment. That you were powerless against the gravity and the height of that cliff. They had seen real power. They were freaking out about the wind and the wave. And then Jesus is just like, can you just, I'm trying to wake up here. Be quiet. And then the winds and waves are like, okay. That's, that's power. I mean, I remember being a kid and being obsessed with, with, uh, Superheroes, I won't talk about which universe or version, but it wasn't DC. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was interested in those things because there's, do we just have an, an innate draw towards power? And they had experienced real power. They were in awe and they were in wonder. They hadn't seen this before. And in fact, in the Old Testament, 
power over the winds and the waves. This was something that was attributed to God. God alone. In, in, in Psalm 107, the, the psalmist is calling those who've been redeemed to give testimony to that fact. And it says this in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Their courage, the courage of these people, melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from distress. Does this sound familiar? They cried out to who? The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them, he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works. His wondrous works. They were in wonder. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. They were in wonder and amazement and they were asking the right questions. You see, they they were beginning to have a, a revelation of the fact that Jesus was the Lord that they could trust. And family, today, Luke invites you to have this revelation, this realization that Jesus is the Lord whom you can trust. In the same way that he was sovereign over that storm, in the same way that he was walking them into a situation that was predetermined and prepared for long before the foundations of the earth were even created, he is walking you in your own life into situations and circumstances that you're not ready for. And for which you don't have resources. And yet he has authority to command your storms to stop. He has authority to say, this ends now. He has authority to say, you can go this far and no further. And if you're in the middle of the storm and you've prayed and prayed and maybe you've approached God in a similar fashion as the disciples... I'm perishing here. I'm dying. He's in the boat with you. You know, I, I, water is, is, is a, if you were to go and, and study water, and we're, we're about to be done, but if, if you were to go and study water in the Bible, it always is tied to this idea of judgment and God's salvation. We see that the waters were chaotic and God separated them and, and created creation. We see that, that humanity was wicked and God judged it in the days of Noah with what? Water. We see that the Israelites, in trying to escape, were faced with the Red Sea and their enemies, the Egyptians. And in, in a very similar way, they went to Moses and said, are you serious? You've brought us out here into the wilderness and we are perishing. And what does God do in that moment? He separates the Red Sea and they walk across dry land. God was with them in that moment. If you were to go back and look at the Exodus, what's crazy about that situation is that the Israelites are exiting, they come up against the Red Sea, and they see their enemies, and they they say that we're going to die. They're freaking out. What they don't see is the pillar of God's presence between their enemies and them. 
God's presence was literally standing between them like a bouncer. God is with you in the boat. And unlike the Israelites, God has literally been in the boat. Jesus, when he came to earth, God becoming man, putting on human flesh, he not only knew about your situation, but he lived it out. Tempted, tried, persecuted, suffering, experiencing pain, and even death. There's no situation that you can find yourself in where Jesus can't say, I've experienced that. Suffering, pain, rejection, hurt. He's in the boat with you. And today, I, I would invite you to respond slightly differently than disciples. When you're in the storm, you can run to Jesus in faith. What does that look like? You can run to Jesus knowing that he has a plan for your life, knowing that he has authority over your storm, knowing that he has power over your storm, and knowing that he hasn't left you, but he's with you. In Matthew 28, as Jesus is about to, be, about to ascend into heaven after he's been resurrected, he says, you know, this is my command to you. This is what I want you guys to do. Go make disciples. And what does he say at the end? And I will be with you to the ends of the age. Then in Pentecost, he sends us his Holy Spirit who is present with us and whoever trusts in God is indwelt with his Holy Spirit, his personal presence. No longer do you go to the temple, no longer do you go to this location, but God is with you wherever you are. We can run to God and be faithful and faith-filled because we can remember how he's been faithful to us. And if you don't have stories of God's faithfulness in your life, start with the Bible. Read the Bible every day. And then pray about specific situations and then trust God to answer them. Maybe not in the way that you want. Maybe he doesn't just zap you out of the circumstance, but he will carry you through it. We can remember that God is greater than our storms. We can run to Jesus in faith. And we can take courage by the fact that Jesus has weathered great storms on our behalf. And he's with us in our storms now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are with us in our storms. God, we thank you that you are the God over storms, that you're the Lord who delivers us from storms. And I pray that, that, that we would run to you. I know that so many people in this room, so many people watching online have specific circumstances, rough circumstances that they're thinking about right now and they're asking God, they're asking you, why haven't you addressed this? And God, I, for those people, I pray that you would minister comfort that you would minister your presence, that you would minister by your spirit faith, that our faith would rise to believe your word, that what you've begun you will finish, that you will not leave us or forsake us, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Today is the day, family. Today is the day to turn away from your own ability to try and relate to God on your own power. Today is the day to turn away from sin. Today is the day to turn away from, from wickedness. Today is the day to trust in Jesus as the one who died on the cross for your sins in your place, rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death, and who calls you to follow him as, as a faithful servant. 
If that's you, if that's how you want to respond to what God has said and he's doing right now, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air. It's great. Once your hand's up, you can put it back down. If you're online, I want you to let one of our hosts know. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. There's nothing magical in the prayer itself. It's a reflection of what you're responding to with God. I want you to say this, God, I turn away from, in other words, I repent of trying to live life apart from you. I turn away from sin that's disobeying you. I turn away from trying to be my own boss. That's idolatry. And I turn to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross in order to pay the penalty for my sin. And I ask that you would help me to live a new life by your spirit following you. Not, not in charge of my life, but, but submitting my life to you as Lord. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I want you to let someone know. We got, we're going to have people down here socially distanced uh, praying, and I want you to let them know because it's important that you, you begin to walk out the faith that you've just spoken. And we want to help you do that. Family, I love you. I love you so much.